Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Elliot Towsley, and this is the Business of Music podcast. Thank you for joining us. My business partner, James Landry, and I go back and forth about how we can help independent artists market their own music. If you have more questions, follow us on Instagram or come to denovoagency.com and we'll be happy to help. Enjoy. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Business of Music podcast. My name is Elliot. That's James. James, what's going on, dude? Today's Wednesday, right? Yeah. Today, Wednesday. That's good. You know, what I've realized in these things is (laughs) the last, I think the last two episodes we started, I think I said, hey, how's it going, James? You said, good, you. And then I talked for about 15 minutes before you said anything else. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, yep, that's right. But um, I really think the show, I mean, it's, it's interesting because you and I have such like different ways of putting almost the same thing. So I want to get more of your take on what is going on. How are you doing, man? Doing well. Um, what's going on? What have I seen recently that we can talk about? Actually, something interesting that came up. Um, I'm not sure if it's true or not, so I guess we'll call it a rumor. Big Sean's initial advance when he signed was $15,000. That's it. We could have signed him. Fifteen grand. <laughs> yeah. and, wow. Uh, they made him into who he is. But what that actually did for him, with no leverage, a small advance, but he started recouping money a lot faster. Um, if you think about oh. it, he was probably recouping money two and a half years, three years earlier than he would have been if he would have signed for 100000 or 200000 um, That was interesting. I want to look into it a little bit more and see if I can find it. But Right. Now, that's a good point. And I did not think of that right away. At, the first thing I thought of was kind of like, oh, wow, that is a really low number and i bet like the headline of you know big sean's first signing bonus was only 15k kind of be like oh wow they ripped him off but the back end of that deal like you said is he probably got to recoup the money because if the label's like yep after we reach our fifteen thousand dollar mark then we split the money 80 20 or whatever he was probably actually taking more money outside of that bonus much sooner than if he had a $200,000 signing bonus or something. And that also probably means that when he signed, the album was either, the album that they were gonna first work with was either already done um, or just needed like a few touch-ups because if he went in with an absolute blank slate, there's no way you can produce like a professional album on that level for 15K, just purely because the producers at that level cost way more. You have to remember, an advance isn't, the money to record so in advance is money you in your pocket um recording fees and everything is also recoupable by the label before they ever pay you so he got paid 15k his first album probably didn't cost what it cost connie and connie cost like right. two mil to record an album samples so odds are he probably only had to recoup like 75k before he started making his 20 percent split but what labels do when they do splits is say it's 80 20 and you take 20%, the label takes 80, um, and you got, let's say, $200,000 advance. Before you see another penny, the label would have to make a million dollars off of you because only your portion goes towards the advance and the recruitment. So only that 20%, not the entire figure. So 
what Big Sean ended up getting is 15K, like I said, probably 50K to record an album at most at that point because he was a nobody. And so 75K in his first, what was his first album? Do you remember? First release? Well, I would say he wasn't necessarily a nobody. He was kind of coming up in that same, like a little after Kid Cudi and like the Wale, Asher Roth, like the mixtape when we were like juniors and seniors in high school because he had the finally famous mixtape with like, go get you some. And he did that, that was lemonade freestyle. Was he already signed there? Yeah, he wasn't anyone oh. before he signed with them. That's why he only got 15K. And that's so he was just like a guy. About. Yeah, he was just kind of. Yeah, 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 he was just a guy. And they heard him they're like, hey, you're pretty good. That was probably one of the, the last artists before the internet age that was like, became someone of no one. If you think about it, they found right. him. He right. wasn't just... He wasn't Ross making money because his name, he was online in SoundCloud. Like they found him. Um, and developed yeah, him. Fi- I think Finally Famous probably was his first release under the album. Like mixtape? Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about that, clearing that probably wasn't that expensive. Whatever he did sample. Or, it. well, back, back then it was all for Datpiff. It wasn't for yep. necessarily to sell. So they didn't give a shit. And the, that's about clearing the samples. And the, that's what a lot of artists are running into now. You see a lot, if he wanted to put, Finally Famous Volume 1, the mixtape, as it was on to Spotify, he would now have to clear those samples and he likely wouldn't be able to clear all of them. Um, well, that's what, what we've seen. Mac Miller did. Yeah. Mac Miller and, just did well, that with kids. Right. Yeah, exactly. And well, I mean, recently you have Lil Wayne put out No Ceilings, but like a third of it was gone. And like some of the beats were different. You saw that with Cush and Orange Juice. Wiz Khalifa did that. He put Cush and OJ on spotify and you know apple music and all that but he had to change some of the beats for um the statement and one of the other hits off of cushion oj like but like so like that's kind of because back when they were making their product they didn't necessarily give a shit they were all playing the long game i'm gonna give you away my music i'm gonna rap over popular beats that you are already familiar familiar with show you what i can do and build a name, build an audience to then perform and make my money that way. Um, and, you, and then, yeah. Like, so Mac Miller, they released Kids. It took them years to clear that. Originally, when he released that album for free, he got sued still. Someone sued him and oh, said, I bet. you owe me money to use this sample. And their response was, we're not getting paid for this. We're not trying to get paid for this. There's nothing you can do. Um, well, I'm not sure who won. They settled out of court. They ended up paying. They just, yeah, they paid something and it was one of those fair use claims. Um, any lawyer who says they know fair use very well doesn't know fair use. It's a toss up. Every time you go to court, you're better off flipping a coin or just asking someone on the street who wins this case and they pick and that's the winner because it's a joke. And that's why most fair use will just settle. And they settled that case. So he had clearance on one song after that. They released his mixtape and then three months later released four more songs on it like the full thing because they couldn't get it. It was became way more money. Clearing something after it becomes famous costs way oh, more yeah. money. Right, because they want the royalties and yeah. now license it. You want to make more money on this? It's going to cost you this much now. Yeah, you've already made this much. Think about how much more money you can make. Um, that's mm. why Rostrum Records back then didn't clear it because they didn't have money. They weren't investing in them. It was just Mac Miller doing it, whatever. Um, that's not Big Sean. Big Sean was signed. They cleared that. Before the lemonade, most likely. I don't know lemonade. I uh, finally famous. They cleared. I mean, they came up with the album with a few songs off of it, didn't they? 
I would guess that they cleared most of his and released it. Um, and that was the most of his cost for putting in his first album. Uh, so yeah, all of this goes back to, yeah, like you said, most headlines will say, well, he got screwed 15 K that's it. Look how good he is. Think about how much money he's worth, but he made money a lot faster. He probably made more money because of that than he would have right. if he signed in advance. It would have taken him much longer to get, start making money back. Um, which was what struck me, which is crazy to think 15K back when he signed. Yeah, in like what, 2009 or something? Yeah, his first maybe? release was 2008, I think. So he probably signed in 05, I would guess. And wow. um, he's one of those, he's the average person who signs to a label. The average person who signs to a label does not make $100,000. They average about 30 to 40 grand a year, and that's what he was. You get the 15K, you may never become successful. The majority of people on labels, they estimate like 92% of people on labels, never become famous. They make a living. And that's what we talked about labels again. I don't mean to talk about labels again this week, but labels are in the business of attempting many, many artists. And they can pay for that with the big artists. Mm-hmm. Can pay. That's how you take risk. You can get 10 big shots for 15K. And if one pays off, you can get 15 more. And that's kind of how the labels keep doing their thing. Um, but yeah, Big Sean was one of the people they did not know if he would pan out is what that means. That 15K advance is clear because or else they would have invite, invested more and tried to get more that he has to recoup because they can control him longer and make more money off of him than 15K. Yep. Well, and I think that highlights the leverage that Kanye and good music had as well, because you can at that time, hey, I'm Kanye West. I'm starting this new record label. I want to take you under my wing. I'm going to give you production for free or like, you know, the label that I own will pay for it. Kind of like move money around to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really shows because say hypothetically universal was like, hey, Big Sean, like we'll give you 80 grand. Um, But, you know, good luck. Kind of maybe that it just goes to show what was Big Sean thinking? Okay. And in this case, it worked. Okay. I'm going to go under Kanye's wing. I'm going to get some features with Cuddy and, you know, Kanye and Common. Um, but yeah, interesting to think because he was definitely obviously playing the long game when he was doing that, or he had no other options. But it's hard to think that if you get the attention of Kanye, that you don't have any other options. You know? I guess he had minimum. I bet yeah. you there's a lot of people who sign, even people we work with who have signed, um, and they'll sign but never be invested in. And they'll sign for the biggest dollar. So that's kind of what you're saying. Like He probably did have another offer, but he decided I could go on to Universal, who is – Good music is under them. Oh, that's but, just an example. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's what oh, I'm saying too. Yeah. But he could have done that and maybe have been fine or take less money to sign to the smaller record who is owned by just Kanye and run by a different management, but it's more hands-on. Um, and that's something that most artists probably wouldn't think of. And they would also wouldn't think about being able to recoup sooner, at least not without a good attorney. They wouldn't realize like, that is a thought. You could take more money, but if you're taking more money, you're almost saying, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. Well, that's actually made me just think of something interesting is there's a difference between an attorney and like a finance guy. Like 
like often they might know both in like perspectives, but like a lawyer's job is to tell you what the contract says. It's up to you or to somebody else to say, well, which now that I know what this means, how, like, how do I best assess how this affects me financially? That is a whole nother conversation that, I mean, you know, more lawyers than I do, but just from the perspective of, if you're so in, like, it would be hard to find someone who is an expert at law and an expert at like wealth management and finances, you know, like that's too. I would say that's what separates entertainment attorneys who know what the hell they're doing and people who want to be entertainment attorneys. Because an entertainment attorney is very easy. Anyone can just be an entertainment attorney. I know how to read a contract, but you don't know what it means. What does it mean? Yeah, what does it mean for your business? A $15,000 advance and get $50,000 in marketing and another 10,000 in investment for your actual album. What does that mean? How does that affect you? And when will you make money again? Um, and I mean, even accountants probably wouldn't understand without the attorney being able to tell them, this is what they need. This is what they recoup. Here's the net. Here's the gross. How many years? And how many streams? How many sales would it take? Uh, a lot of people think they're attorneys in the entertainment industry because they know what a copyright is, <laughs> but even worse, they don't TV. know the difference <laughs> that they don't realize there's two copyrights in a song. I was just working on a contract the other day that a company paid a big time attorney in uh, California. I think they paid $500 for this contract and it was written. It was supposed to be a 360 deal. wasn't close. And it didn't even talk about the master sound recording. It only talked about the composition copyright, the writer's copyright. So like if I added a word to the song, I would automatically be, I'd get a split. And these guys thought it covered the master as well. It covered royalties and it didn't. It didn't talk about actual royalties. It only talked about sales. And that is the difference. You can be an attorney and think you understand, but if they can't tell you in plain English what the hell is going on in the contract, they probably don't understand it. They're just using a template and giving it to you and letting you do it. I don't know if Big Sean understood what he was doing back then. Maybe he did. Maybe he was just like, it's Kanye. Sweet. But I think he probably got lucky. And because by the time he actually negotiated another deal, he had a lot of leverage. Like we were talking about before. Like they, The labels would rather get you in a predatory contract on your first contract before you blow up. And they didn't do that is what it seems like. If the rumor is true, they did not do that. Yeah. And it's, it's almost interesting. Like when I heard the other day on like ESPN or something, they were like, look, if you, your window to win a Super Bowl is when your star quarterback is on their rookie contract, unless you're the Patriots, because now you have a bunch of other money. Oh, good. We got him at this level. Look how far he's developed. Good thing. We've got this three-year window where he's still at the price where we got him down here. Big Sean, we got him for 15 K. Good thing. We got him for a three album deal because now he's super popular and we get him you know, we get 80% of these three deals. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, that's kind of interesting to kind because of, I'm sure, like you said, the labels play like the numbers game. If we sign a hundred somewhat talented artists for 15 K a piece, and one of them goes and beco- hits number one all summer, like you and can play a big tour, they might offset the cost of every single one of the other ones. And if then, if you got two out of those hundred, now you're making money. 
Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, almost like I'm going to go and buy a hundred big scratch tickets. <laughs> but in like, obviously that is not quite the best example because the more you buy, the less likely it is, you know, like if that's your strategy, like forever, Oh, I'm just going to keep signing everyone until somebody hits it big. Like eventually you're going to run out of money. If you're signed 10,000 artists for, you know, so like the, it's where there, whereas a scratch ticket is, I you see think, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So <laughs> major labels can afford to do this because they're getting bankrolled by other artists. Um, well, at this point, say like Rostrum Records gets, back in the day. How major labels get started really is by by buying an artist from a smaller label. Ah, is so that ah. smaller labels are taking most of the risk until to they develop get their a ten, big artist. Then they get if the they one. If they get a big artist, they can become a major label. Think about Logic is probably the best example of this. They could have become a major label, but instead Sony came up and said, no, we're going to buy you. We'll buy the whole label, pay you to keep doing what you're doing, and we'll take the major artist as you come on. So mm. these small independent labels we talk to a lot of the time, they have one artist on them. But really, if you want to be successful, you probably need close to 50 and hope that one has enough attention that a major label will come and offer to buy them out. If they come and offer to buy them out, you better have the right contract. If you don't have the right contracts, they're not going to pay you a penny. They're just going to take your artist. Because it's very easy if you don't have the correct 360 deal or copyright control over these artists, these major labels then just buy your artist away, pay them more than you are, and then they become a big deal and bankroll more of their artists. Yep. Well, and especially in hip hop, right? Because there's so, how often do you see someone, oh, Big Sean was the latest guy to come out of Detroit since Eminem. And then he probably has a couple of his, you know, people from the city that he's going to bring up with him. Okay, I've built out the system to build successful artists, copy, paste, boom, done. And in that regard, like, I think, you know, Logic's label went out and got John Bellion and did the same kind of thing. Like, okay, and now Sony just inherently owns these guys. And I think that's, an, that's interesting because the artist, I wonder now, like Sony wouldn't be like, oh yeah, and if you want to opt out, you can give us 200 grand logic. I doubt that's part of like the buyout. But it's interesting to think of like being logic, say in the middle of a five album deal, I'm three albums in with Visionary and now Sony owns us. Well, hmm, I kind of like this independent thing that I was doing. What's going to change? Are you going to change the rules? Are you going to, or is this going to help me? Like, if I don't want to be here anymore, can I just buy out those other two albums? Like, what could, what are some hypothetical things that Logic may have been able to do in that scenario? So Logic's kind of in that scenario now. So it's funny we're using him as an example because he's retired. Like he still owes an album to Sony. He can't leave. All he can do is give him an album. So if he does decide to come back and unretire because he wants to be independent, and that was part of the talk, he would still have to deliver that album to Sony. And this is why the correct contract is so important as a minor record label. Just having a handshake agreement with your friend isn't going to be enough if Sony comes in and goes, hey, I want to buy them out. Because Sony wants to buy what they agreed to. Sony wants right, to get them for it, cheap. Right. They don't want to have to pay full value for them. So if this minor label has them for no, no advance and just 80-20 split, Sony loves that. Sony will pay that label a lot of money for that. 
because they're saying like if Sony's saying if okay you're the minor label you can invest a hundred grand and make two million we're a big label we can invest five million and make forty so our percent here is very valuable the thing that I thought of is almost like if you bought an an apartment house with five units in it five and they're all occupied they all have a lease what you're buying is that guaranteed income in the lease for the next X months. Okay, this went into my equation. That means this building is worth this much because these contracts are attached to the asset. Doesn't matter if same vice versa. If I'm selling my apartment house and I have five, the leases were for a year and I'm halfway through. I can't sell them and say, hey, your lease is over. Good, but sorry, you have a new owner. No, no, no. Those leases are attached to the asset. In a similar way, it sounds like where if Sony obviously accounted for that one or two albums in their math of like what they could do. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, that makes a lot of sense then. How much is he worth to them at that point? At and that point. What Sony's going to do is go, look, at this level, he'll make your small record label $2 million over the next 10 years. We'll give you that today if you just give us him. And obviously, pretty much every small label will say, deal. Right, because you still have the label. Yeah, and it's not you like have you have to vanish. And you can do it right. again. Right, um, do it again. Or Sony will say, we'll give you two mil and you'll come under our wing. We'll give you a salary to keep doing what you're doing and X amount of years to spend. Now you don't have to risk any more money. And that's, it's almost like seeing The Office when Michael comes into the office and goes, we want our jobs back. We want full health benefits. If you're buying out my Michael Scott paper company, we don't just want money. And that's what a small label right. can do. They can go, I want a job <laughs> or I want money up front. Right. I want security um, for the long term. I don't need yeah. a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's what the label has to decide. But the label doesn't make that decision at all if they don't have Big Sean signed to that $15,000 deal. If that deal's not signed, it, he's gone. And he'll just go to the major label if he wanted to go. And the small independent label who found him is pretty much SOL. Until they make a big fuss about it online nowadays and they get internet buzz and they pay yeah. them back because they feel bad. Almost like Nike and uh, the swoosh. They paid like 20 bucks for that originally. And then they felt bad in like 1990. They're like, yeah, but they're worth 20 billion. Sorry. Here, <laughs> here's, here's 10% of our stock. Our bad. Like, no way. They you. gave 10% for a they logo. Gave a, they gave a good chunk of change to them, they gave them a yeah. stock ownership. Eventually, I don't think it, it, you know what I mean, though. It was one of those, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, our, our bad. Oops. That's if you don't have necessary contracts, that's what you're setting yourself up to do is you're hoping for that. You're hoping that they come back and go, hey, we feel bad for taking them. They're not going to, they don't care. Think about what these liberals do to people. Look at Kanye right now. They've literally made him try the nuclear option of breaking this contract <laughs> to get out because he doesn't <laughs> want their creative control anymore. They don't care about their artists. They care about making money. And Kanye is bankrolling other artists. And that's what Big Sean's doing now. And I think for creative control for what Kanye is talking about, they've clearly let Kanye do whatever the fuck he wants to do. My guess is what creative control means is like there's a limit to how much they're going to spend on like the samples and like the ridiculousness that goes on with Kanye. That's what he's like. Because what do you mean? They would have said, no, Jesus, no, bury this. <laughs> That's out. <laughs> and yeah. like, so I like, there's, there's definitely a limit on samples. 
And if he can't get cleared, he can't release it. If he doesn't get approval, he can't release it. Um, so stuff like that is like, we'll release it because we know no matter how bad this is, we're going to make X amount back. But we're right. not investing any more money into this then, album because this isn't, you're not making through the wire anymore. <laughs> like you've switched. You, you almost released a gospel album. That was your goal, which we supported you to do because you make so much money but you're only going to be able to put X amount in because we want to be able to make our 120% back. Right. Interesting. Well, so this is like, we were talking about this in one of the last episodes where it's like not every record label is inherently a villain. Um, It is a deal. And a lot of the, like with Kanye, he is now pissed because he thinks his situation or his leverage has changed and he wants a new deal. And you see this in sports often. And you know, oh, I'm outperforming my rookie contract. I want to resign at a new higher level. And it's like, okay, like I understand, but put yourself in the record labels shoes or the sports team. Like you signed this deal. And we have a planned for this deal for years building growing into this growing what we're going to do at the end of this contract are we going to move this guy here it's very i'm kind of realizing right now a record label is very is similar to like operating a football team 53 people on your roster people coming in and out trying out all the time some people there for a week some people there for five ten years and only only is this a story when it's a big, big star, Ezekiel Elliott, I think was like the last one to like get out of their rec, maybe in Pat Mahomes and to come out of that rookie deal and renegotiate outside of the contract they had already agreed on. So, I mean, like you're talking like the top one or two people at your position. Patrick Mahomes is obviously number one right now, I think, but you, and so that means you have to be numero uno drake eminem jay-z kanye even kanye right now is having a hard time renegotiating so kanye debatably doesn't have enough leverage right now to pull this kind of move because it's business and like as much as we are artist friendly i think sometimes a lot of people forget about the label side like there are business as well and it's not like oh i'm i have a lot of sympathy for them but it's just like at what point is it well, yeah, sorry, but this is the deal you agreed to. Like I'm in, in the situation where say a good record label, one that hasn't screwed you over, gave you a four album deal, you're two albums in, you've gotten way bigger than you thought, and now you want to renegotiate, but they've like helped you. I don't know where I stand in that hypothetical where if I'm the label, I'm like, dude, you signed this deal. It was friendly at the beginning. We've said we've done more than we said we would do for you. And now you're just like trying to flex. What do you think? I think people sign not actually expecting to get big. And that's what labels risk is. If you think about labels risk, everything. They invest all this money hoping something happens. And then when something happens, people feel like they did it. And they forget mm. that the label did it. They feel like I did all this. I it was a this, partnership. I it. 
but they didn't pay for any of it. So ultimately, that's why artists mm. are like, I want more money. And it's like, well, you haven't finished the first agreement we had. And it is true. Labels will do five, six, seven album deals. And for this reason, for this reason, because if you're not good, you'll just end that too. Label will stop investing in you if you don't blow up. But if you blow up, now they've got control for four, five, six, seven more albums. Like, and that's why Kanye had a lot of amendments that he tweeted out to his contract. It wasn't one contract, that was a contract and like six amendments of them giving him more money, more advances, more budget per album. Because it's budget per album as well. Mm-hmm. And those get adjusted. And labels will give more as you get bigger. But their ultimate goal is still to make their money. I got a question. So, okay, I'm Kanye West and Universal gives me $100,000 to record my album. If I produce my own record, say under another, my production company, I'm Kanye Producer LLC. Kanye the rapper is paying the Kanye production company 20 grand to... Is that something that no, uh, they'll make it. So the contracts are usually, it will say artist and any LLC, the artist owns that works in music. Mm. Gotcha. That way they're not paying, you're not paying yourself and getting, but even if you did pay yourself, the issue with that is now say you're paying yourself, they still get to recoup that money. You're better off doing it yourself for free. So they can't recoup any of that because they didn't spend it. Right. Ah, you're able to do everything for free. To their standards, they will obviously, they'll do like mix and master and be like, nope, we spent 20 grand. Mm. Cool. That's still better than spending 500,000 and them having to recoup it. If you can do everything, you own your own studio, you have your own everything to their level. Um, Right. And I think uh, Stunner for Vegas is kind of doing that right now. Who? He's Stunner for for Vegas. Yeah. He's uh, one of the I feel guys. Like I should know this stuff. Yeah, he's one of the guys in Charlotte. <laughs> uh, comes around with big uh, the baby and stuff like that. But he isn't using the labels, like recording or studio and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure he's paying out of pocket for most of this stuff. Um, mm. To keep that number himself to kind yeah. of his manager or lawyer told him, Hey, if you can keep this number low, don't use that full budget. Just because they're giving you 500,000 doesn't mean you should use it because mm-hmm. if you're using it, they're going to make that back. They want to recover. And they're going to make more than that back because if you have an 80, 20 split and say they give you 200,000, like I said before, they're going to make a million before you get paid get a dollar. Yeah. Just, just off of that, the recording cost. Never mind your advance or anything else. So I think there are artists out there that are smart and do that. And then the artists I see falling into issues are the ones who don't think they're going to make it. So they literally milk every penny out of these labels, get as much money as they can. And then once they make it, they go, oh, you mean I spent $2.5 million in the past year on recording and stuff like that? And you gave it to me? And the label's like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, this is something that reminds me of something we see on in social media all the time. Comments like this, where we're talking about like record labels giving you the the initial investment, giving you that advance. A lot of artists are under the impression that say, okay, I have a two album deal. They give me a hundred grand for easy math here. And the first album I do, and you know what? I just suck and I have no fans. And I don't make any money for this record label, but I fulfill my two albums and I'm done. 
the the record label isn't gonna it's not like a loan in a way it is but it's not if i go to the bank and i get a loan for a house and then my i fuck up and i lose my job and i don't have any money i still owe that bank money period if i'm getting an advance from a record label that is like a payment i don't have to pay that back out of pocket if i don't if your investment in me doesn't pay off i don't need to pay you the remainder later oh i'm now i work at some other company I got to give you my half of my paycheck every week? No. And I think some artists are under the impression that if I get a $100,000 advance and my career blows up in my face, I owe the record company a hundred grand out of pocket. No, you owe the record company a hundred grand out of the profit you make together. Right? Your first a hundred grand out of the deal you made goes back to the record company. So right, you won't so, make another penny until after that hundred grand. They recoup it. You don't have to pay them back. Um, right. So, for example, like you were saying, I want to expand on it a little bit. You do. You have a two album deal. Make keep it simple. Mm-hmm. You release an album, um, horrible. You release second album, doesn't do anything. They. What would I know they, about that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I got three. I'll give you a three. You want a two album deal? How about three? Three terrible albums. I got them right here. <laughs> already done. <laughs> already done. You give what they're worth like a nickel. Give me a quarter and we'll call it even. <laughs> so you do that. Um, you release the albums. Usually record labels and deals always have an option. They always have an extension to claim your next two or three albums or four albums because just like they want to make sure they something. can recoup it. It gives them another so if they didn't recoup off two albums, at least they can be like, Yep, unilateral, we're taking you for the next four as well, because we want to recoup our money. Say you go through all six albums and they still don't make their money back, they likely will be like, "Yeah, just get get the, get just go. Like, we don't care. Like we're sick of sink- we're not sinking more money into you. We're not gonna make it back. It's not worth it. Good luck." At that point, you can make money from another company and not have to pay back your. Mm. Like, they're only going to make money now off those albums. They're still recouping off of those albums. So even if you left and you left six albums over there, and then you blew up, they would make their money back off of those six albums. And then start paying you still, because they still owe you money off those albums if they recoup their investment. So just because you leave a record deal too, doesn't mean they're never going to pay you again. Mm. They still owe you if you make money right. off those albums, and they recoup If you go famous 10 years later, yeah. and or whatever. Yeah. So I think people do forget that it's not like, oh, it didn't work out, see ya. We're keeping everything you did or, mm. or some people may think, oh, I got out of it. So I have all my stuff back. No, you don't. You really don't have anything. Um, what Kanye is trying to do is buy his stuff back because he knows if he leaves the album, he has no chance. So you're better off doing it while you're with them. Um, that was Taylor Swift's issue with Scooter Braun. They sold off of all of her masters and stuff and she wasn't a part of it anymore. And she couldn't be like, hey, if I give you four more albums, will you give me back these? Because they weren't under a deal. So instead she had to be like, oh, just straight up auction. Because it's worth $350 million over the next 10 years. I'm not, no. Um, That's crazy. Well, it was the bundle. always have a way. Yeah. She was involved in like a bundle of masters, right? It wasn't just hers. Yeah, it was a sale of like a label. It was like a a whole, yeah. It was like an auction off. There's a company in Europe, I forget the name of it, actually collecting uh, masters of just, hundreds of artists oh, yeah. like old artists 
and they're trying yeah. to make a stock market of music artists. They're trying to get listed in everything. And they're saying they're paying millions, hundreds of millions of dollars up for like Barry Manilow and saying this will be worth for the next 50 to hundred years. These will make this much money. Mm. And all of a sudden I've just got passive income off of all of these masters. It's pretty interesting. I forget the name of it. I was reading it recently, the news on it. They're just buying and buying and buying. And that's kind of what happened to Taylor Swift. Someone bought a chunk and went, it's worth me paying 10 million now. If in 15 years, I make my 10 million back after that, it's just profit. And it's just profit yep. and profit and profit and profit forever. And that's kind of what this company is doing. Um, it's common. Uh, that's very interesting. And I think what you're going to start to see is companies like that go after like musicians who have passed away and like their estate now owns it. And they're like, yep. That's what they oh, like doing. the, yeah. Like Prince, Michael Jackson, you know, the Beatles are soon going to be, did you know Michael Jackson owned a lot of the Beatles music? And then like the Paul McCartney had to like buy it back or something. Can you imagine having that much fucking money that you're just like, he, he outbid the Beatles for their own fucking music. <laughs> like that is incredible. <laughs> they, the Beatles. That's a <laughs> wow. Um, I see a lot of, I see the future. So people are doing it with artists now. Um, I, and don't forget producers just signed by labels a lot of the time too. Because labels can make mm, 10, 20, 15% yep. off, 25% off of everything they do. And that's kind of where I see the future is people are going to buy producers and what the shares that producers own. Because if, for example, um, Seth in the kitchen with the baby right now, he's the number one hip hop R&B. He's everything right now. He's got probably 10 at least 10%, probably up to 25% of every master that he's on, he owns. So if he can get out of his deals, or if he's not in a deal, someone's going to want to buy him. Because or think that, about the owner's percentage. Yeah. And mm -hmm. just, they're just going to pay him. Be like, hey, we'll buy everything you own to this point. I know you don't want to be in a deal, but we'll buy everything in the past and give you cash today. And if you're 60 years old and you're a producer and you're done making music, why wouldn't you sell it? Because you're, you're not going to survive long enough. And the industry is really going to that. Is people want to be independent, fine. But even when you're independent, people are going to come after you and try to buy what you've made. And most mm. people will sell it because there's only so much benefit you have to keeping it. Money now is better than money later. For a lot of people. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's very interesting. And a, a musician stock market kind of thing is interesting because just kind of like companies, they're only as value, valuable as we think they are, Yep. you know, or actually let, let's make a difference. So a company that makes a product, if the product is great, then if there's like a little bit of nonsense, I'll call it about the company, their stock doesn't just necessarily immediately plummet. For an extreme example, let me say this. Chris Brown's stock, the day before he beat up Rihanna, was probably here. Then like an incident happened that's outside of the product, outside of the music. Mm -hmm. Now the stock is here and it will probably never get to what it was before. Tory Still Lanez. making money. 
Tory Lanes. So, but then let's flip it on a, on a company, right? How much bad shit do you hear about Amazon all the time? Oh, they treat their workers like shit. They do this and that. They, you know, they overwork everybody. They're nickel and dime. Jeff Bezos is worth a fucking trillion dollars. <laughs> but people, because it's about the process, they're, it's different. Whereas a stock about a company, we could all learn today that Amazon is polluting the hell out of the Mississippi River. Ah, but you know, I still really like getting my camera in a day or two. That's nice. <laughs> and you can just see people, their actions, their wallets always speak louder than their words. And whereas a musician, so much can hinge on, and let's flip it this way. Say like if you're a rap, like Meek Mill almost, his image a few years ago, 2016, like with him and Drake, his image up before this beef was, I'm like a hard dude. Don't fuck with me. I'm coming after you if you like fuck with me. And then like gets to what a lot of people think he got beat in that altercation or beef, whatever you want to call it. Drake outperformed Meek, right? So Meek didn't necessarily like have a incident or fuck up. But oops, now your image took a big hit because you were this hard guy, don't fuck with me. And then like the singing guy beat you. Oh, like, so now your stock went. And that's very interesting because of business, you can kind of be like, it's about the bottom line, of course. But music isn't always about just purely the bottom line. It's, it's a lot of allow, uh, allure. The, you know, Jay-Z feels richer and more successful than like Eminem, but he isn't. Well, think about every year after a scandal goes by, someone's image gets better as long as it's not more scandals. Best example I have right now is Michael Jackson. His image was low, <laughs> like, but he is going to make money forever off of his music. He's dead. They actually probably benefit the owner of the masters that he passed away. Yeah, yeah, but that's Michael Jackson, though. I'm just that's saying, like, yeah, Meek Mill, same thing. He's gone up ever since because eventually you forget about it, you move on. I don't I would know. Say each musician's like a business. Yeah, and but I think we're like the they will make more money than they won't, no matter what the scandal is. I don't know. Not in rap in particular. So much of it is if people don't believe what you're saying and how you're saying it. Like if DMX was all of a sudden, like you found out he was a huge pussy and like <laughs> you would be like, you'd go and listen to that music way differently. You'd be like, this is all bullshit. And so I think like it, you people would still listen to it, but to the, if we're comparing, let's compare Michael Jackson, top of the music world to Amazon, like top of the company world. Um. Hang on, we got our guest trying to join right now. But um, it's just interesting because I think the product I get from Amazon, and like, let's keep in mind, Amazon is selling a, a service and a way of getting product, not necessarily the product itself. Um, if something bad happens with Amazon, I don't necessarily lose how I feel about that service. I might be like, oh man, I wish they didn't do that. But yeah. if my favorite rapper is Meek Mill, because I love what he's perceived as, 
And then something happens to that perception of him. I feel differently because it's immediately connected to the product I'm buying from him. If that makes sense. Let's leave it at that. We've got a guest here. (laughs) I've got to grab my charger. So James, why don't you welcome Courtesy in. Courtesy is a producer um, and rapper from Boston. And he's here now, or coming in now. He'll be with us shortly. Brody and Courtesy, same person, were, uh, he was one of the first clients we had at DeNovo Agency back in the day. And he's getting his camera set up here now. There he is. How's it going, guys? Courtesy, how you doing, brother? What's going on? Uh, I'm doing great, you know. Uh, just getting settled into a new place here, getting the workroom set up. Hell yeah. I'm still moving some boxes around and stuff, but, you know, we're making progress. Where's the new spot? Uh, Burlington, Mass. Okay, yeah, that's where uh, my good friend Tony, Jiggy, he used to work there for a long time. Mm, okay, okay. So, that's cool. Yeah, I, I went there really well. A lot to do around here. Yep. And how far away did you grow up from there? Oh, uh, next town over. Okay, there you go. So you know it very well. Yeah, very, that's very the, well. Uh, that's the mall they shot mall carpet copping. Yeah, yeah. Paul Blart. Yeah, the there Burlington. <laughs> There's a fun fact about Burlington. <laughs> the legal seafoods was right in the, the front entrance. Yep. Oh yeah, I've been to that. Uh, I've been to that mall. <laughs> I didn't know. It's like, oh yeah, Paul Blatt. Everybody knows Paul. Grew up Everybody down the street from me. Was that mall? <laughs> That's for sure. That is really funny. People from out of state know about that mall. Oh yeah, yeah. I knew about the mall. Crazy. Um, so, how, what have you been up to? How have you been doing? Um, uh, recently, I've been uh, like I said, uh, just shuffling my life around a little bit, reorganizing. Uh, Trying to get a reapproach on not only the music, but I guess my own personal life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, just family situation was going on. Couldn't stay at home. Had to leave on my own now. Feels good, but at the same time, you know, it's, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, outside uh, pressures and stuff like that. But at the same time, the music is going really good. So I'm just trying to stick with that and uh, keep that in positive light. You know, yeah, hell yeah, the music is going really good. Now, what's the name of your latest single? Um, it was High School Dreams, uh, right on fr- uh, Saturday, October tenth. Oh hell yeah! So we're only four days into it here. Yeah, High School Dreams. I've heard some snippets. I've seen it on your Instagram. I really like the like direction that you've been going in. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today was cause we've all been working together for like a year and a half the, on and off something yeah. like that for maybe even like two years now. And almost actually. Yeah. Yeah. And from where you started working with us, you had just finished uh, college, I think. Yeah. And we're kind of like, you had like a particular style and a particular like direction that your music was going in. And then you kind of, pivoted yeah and you you thought about changing your name you thought about there was a lot of which direction am i going in now can you talk a little bit about like that process 
and how you, or what factored into making the decisions that you made? Yeah, so um, a lot of it came down to, uh, so I guess I'll start in the beginning. Uh, my senior year college, I was supposed to go on a tour with an artist. I got scammed really bad, lost $3,000, which was for, supposed to be for travel fees, stay and like board and all that good stuff. And I got completely scammed by this guy, Rocky Diamonds. Look out for him. Don't trust the guy. He's from Atlanta. Um, and that kind of screwed everything up because I took a semester off from school to go on that tour. I had dates, he gave me locations and stuff like that. And it was all just a big elaborate scam. So all you other artists out there, don't trust anybody until you get the foot in in the door with them. Like these guys, I met these guys through a personal connection. I talked to them for a while before we even started working and the trust was there. It was a lot different with that guy. Um, After that, I didn't graduate college. I still haven't yet. So that was like a big shift. Everybody that I knew was leaving school. I didn't want to stay there anymore. I was miserable. I was like, I, I, I had felt like my college direction was not the direction that my life was supposed to go in. And, um, you know, I, I personally, I wasn't paying for school. So, uh, uh it was kind of be on my own uh, after that. So, Basically, it was just a it was life changing situation in a sense, um, and that helped me realize what I wanted to do with my music, which was uh, at that point in twenty eighteen, I was just using other people's beats. I was making music as often as I could, and not regarding the quality of it, I guess, because I would just pick up a YouTube beat and run with it, and then I realized I've been working for years to build up my production skills, my engineering skills, my overall vocal style. And I just decided to shift and be as authentic and original as I possibly could. Um, And yeah, my original style was straight up rap music for the most part. And I felt that was stale. I felt everybody was doing that. And uh, the meteoric rise of somebody like Russ was really inspiring. Uh, like the Russ model works, everybody, anybody who's listening, the Russ model works. Doesn't matter if you don't like the guy, <laughs> the, the, dude, the dude's a genius when it comes to music business. Um, and yeah, since then uh, I moved home after leaving college for a few, like six months and that situation did not end up well. Just, my family has issues that, uh, are aside from me that I have nothing to do with. And that was a big factor. I know there's a lot of people that could probably relate to that where you're just kind of dragged into some bullshit that you have no effect in. And uh, that kind of led me to where I am now living on my own, um, working, doing music almost full time now. Um, Working on that transition, obviously I need a little more money now because I'm paying for rent. but yeah, the, it was, uh, I guess, eye-opening situations that helped those decisions that I made in terms of being completely self-sufficient. Like right now, I don't have the money to pay 
somebody for cover arts and for mixing and for production and to for all that other stuff. The only thing I put my budget to is promotion right now. That's it. Well, I mean, you're in a good spot where you're able to do a lot of those tasks and like just the things that a good music business needs to do. Um, you're able to do a lot of that on your own. And yeah. you've also kind of made a bit of a business of being the production side of things. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you've started growing a lot of beats, growing, making a lot of beats for yourself. Yeah. And that has made it easier for you to hone in on your craft of not only like the music you make, you can kind of make the vibe you're looking for. Yeah. You don't have to rely on finding it finding 80% of what you're looking for on beat stars or something or YouTube. Yeah. Um, now, have you been able to like roll out like a, a service of being a producer? Like you, have you met a handful of artists that you get together and you produce for them? Like, is that something you've been doing or is that something you're just looking to do or not at all? At the moment in terms of production, I've worked with a couple of artists uh, probably three and they're local and that reason being is because I use 65 plus percent of my beats and then that other 35 percent 40 percent doesn't I don't think they're quality enough to be used they're just kind of the throwaways um, I would definitely like to start working more with artists but at the same time um, uh, I've I've noticed that I have a very unique production style that tailors to the type of music that I make. And I've noticed that a lot of other artists are very straightforward. Like, for example, like rap artists, they like the standard 16 bar verse, little Mm. switch up on the hook, and then pretty much the same thing on the next 16, which, uh, that I blend genres a lot. So that makes it tough for me to produce for other artists, or at least send, I can't send out beat packs as easily as some other producers. Uh, I make custom tailored styles. I have, I do have any artists hit me up. I do have some beats for you. If you want to rap or sing over them, I got plenty laying around. But at the same time, uh, that's not what I'm pursuing uh, for my personal music career. Um, I have been working heavily, though, on the engineering side of things for other artists. Mm. Very heavily. Um, Working with multiple artists right now, actually. I have a solid clientele list going on right now. That's something I didn't think of. Very interesting. And I think you said something interesting there where you're like, I can't just send a beat pack to some guy in a zip folder. Hey, here are eight beats I made. So much of the production, like it's, I think from the producer angle, it would be better to have five clients that you can work with physically and have a good relationship with where you can kind of fine tune your instrument along the, along the way. Yeah. And really make a good quality custom product. Mm-hmm. that's better than having 50 people generically rap to, you know, here's a beat. See you later. Good luck. I agree. And like, there's a business there. If you, if on beat stars, if you have a decent, you know, fall, you can make kind of a generic kind of beat for those, that style that you're talking about. 16 sure. bars, two bars, bridge, four bar chorus, repeat. 
Um, I have been growing relations with a couple of artists. This is one artist out of Manchester, New Hampshire, Max Nimbus. I've been doing a lot of engineering work for him, and we're going to be moving into the production side of things. For me, I do all exclusive instrumentals. If I'm going to make a song for somebody, it's exclusive. I get rights on it. I get at least 30% of the cut on any beat that I produce, any song that I produce, because I don't just make the beat. I help them write the song. I help them com compose it basically and put it all together, make it sound great. If I do, if I make the beat to a song, I need to do the engineering on it as well. Because otherwise, because I've had a bad experience where I gave an artist that I work with quite frequently an instrumental for his project and he had somebody else mix it and the vocals were not engineered the way that they should have for that type of beat, you know? and like it sounded good, but it wasn't as good as it could have been. You know what I mean? I'm very particular when it comes to my music specifically because I've taken so long to get where I am now that I don't want to just throw my beats out into the ether and hope that somebody catches it. And if they do, uh, if I sell it to them for 50 bucks on a lease, I'm not going to make much money off. On, on the, that's the top. I'm not going to make any money on the bottom end of it yeah yeah that's very true i think uh so have you yeah. you're doing everything exclusively are you working with covid how are you working with these artists because it's not as easy now to get into the studio with them um are you still yeah. going to studios with them are they going to studios are you zooming in how are you Getting around so, with COVID. If I'm being honest, I haven't been to a studio in probably two years because I do everything in house. Um, actually, I'm probably going to be going to one soon, um, depending on how his COVID guidelines are. I guess, like if he's been practicing safe guidelines. Um, I have had at my house. I built a studio in uh, like the shed basically it's like a about the size of this room actually that i'm sitting in now and uh the only artists that i would allow to come in were ones that had been tested negatively or had been getting like the the enzyme test and haven't gotten it before um and that was only a couple different artists you know i had three different artists uh, the kid max nimbus i had mentioned he came multiple times through the end of uh, July and August, after getting tested, I told them, you can't come in unless you get tested. I wear a mask the whole time that they're there. Everybody hand sanitizes when they come in. Um, after that, though, when uh, my volume started, when people more and more people wanted to work with me, I had to start having them record as much as they could and send it to me, which, honestly, I don't prefer. But uh, I mean, with the times that we're living in right now, there's not really many options because, um, I mean, you never know where or how somebody's recording. <laughs> I, I, can, I can trust my method, especially with the quality of equipment that I have. Well, one of the biggest mistakes I made back when I was still making a lot of music was being overconfident in my engineering skills. Mm. I was like okay i was decent yeah but it, it got to that point like when i was when i used to record like in my dorm room like with a mic like this 
yeah. and like just make it work because I was a broke ass college kid. Yeah. And like at the time for like putting my stuff on YouTube and like SoundCloud and it worked. But eventually it got to the, and like I was, I was thinking business wise, right? Well, if I can learn how to mix and master my own stuff, I'll end up saving a lot more money. It makes more sense for me to make my own studio yeah. and buy the nice stuff and save money over time. And to a point, I was correct. What I, from my process, I could have very easily recorded at my place. I had really nice equipment and like the recording, the audio file I got was high, very high quality. Okay. What I did with it <laughs> on GarageBand was not very high quality. So it took, I remember for me in particular, it almost had, I had to swallow my like ego and my pride and accept that I needed to spend money on something Yeah. for me to kind of realize, okay, well, the song is good. The structure of the song is good. My mixing is a 75 out of a hundred. Hmm, okay. So for me, I remember that being like a big day where I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to change my philosophy. I'm like, it's really good. And what I've learned for me was when I finally got to a really nice studio, because I had spent so many hours mixing and having some sort of idea what's going on, like in the song, in the project, yeah. I felt like I was able to like articulate what I wanted the engineer to do. Mm. And and like very be like, and then just kind of be like, oh, I see what he's doing. Yeah. And kind of like, it made me really appreciate the craft of someone who did know what they were doing. Because mm. I went in thinking like, yeah, you know, I generally know what I'm doing. Like I need a pro, but I, f I feel like, um, you know, I know generally what I'm doing. And then like, I was kind of like immediately blown away by like this one engineer in particular. And I was kind of like, this is what I should have been doing. Did it happen to be Landis? I know Landis, he's here in Charlotte, but uh, it was this guy named Aaron Mattis, who is actually going to be on our podcast later this week. Um, oh, cool. he, he started out, or at least where I started out with him, was at this place in Boston called Cybersound Studios. Oh, I've heard of that, yeah. They're awesome. They do a great job there. Um, it isn't the most affordable place to go to in the world, but they As know what they're doing. And when I went there, I was, I probably went there 15 or 20 times, maybe more. And every single time I felt like I got my money's worth because you can coming from the place where I was coming from, where like, I kind of knew, you know, I had probably mixed down a hundred and something songs and like, you know, not all of them were fantastic, but like, like I knew the process. So yeah. right away, it's almost like if you give a 16 year old, a, a Porsche, and it's the first car they ever drive, they don't necessarily appreciate it. They're like, oh, wow, this is nice, and it's expensive, and a cool car, cool. But they never drove the piece of shit Honda Civic. True, yeah. And, and then, so it's like, if you start out with a piece of shit Honda Civic, and then you get a Porsche, you're like, fuck wow. yeah. Like, wow, yeah. I didn't even realize a car could do this. Yeah, true. And that is, in a similar way, like, for, for my music business in particular, it really helped when I was able to get really a specialist for this one task to yeah. it really brought up the the quality of what I was doing tenfold. I've actually been uh, looking into doing that for myself as well, because it's very, very, very time consuming. That's the other thing that's so, 
originally me thinking going, well, putting this money into my studio and it will save me a bunch of money. And maybe it only takes me an hour to write the song and an hour to record it if I know exactly what I'm doing. Maybe less than an hour. But what I would, I'd spend, up, I'd spend nine hours mixing it. 10 hours, maybe more, 15. Especially on your own music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what I realized was that, and this wasn't like, oh, this all makes so much sense. But like in hindsight, somewhere along the line, I realized, wait a minute, if, if this mix is going to cost me 200 bucks, they're going to mix master it, let's say 200 bucks. If even if it just saves me 10 hours, that's, I value my time at more than $20 an hour. Sure. And the quality of the finished product is better. That's true. Yeah. And I, I say that very long story just to ask you now that you mix your own stuff, do you yeah. get it mastered by somebody else or do you do both? Um, so it honestly depends on the song. Um, for a more straightforward song, like, um, let me see what was one that I, um, the song Moonlight that I put out, uh, that one was pretty straightforward in terms of the style, the instrumental, the vocal style I went with. I mastered that one on my own. Um, songs like Alive, um, Don't Tell Me Calm Down, and um what was the other one um there was one more i had landis master them um the one thing mastering is a whole different ball game it's you need to actually know what you're doing in order to get the product to sound right because otherwise you can completely screw up your frequencies (laughs) especially your high end and your low end. The mid usually doesn't get all messed up. It's the low end, the bass that gets muddy if you don't mm-hmm. do it right. And the high end gets very um, it, unpleasant, I guess. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah. So that is definitely one thing that I've been looking into. But uh, at, at this point, it's hard. It's, it's hard to find the right person for the job. You know what I mean? Um, like, as I've sent my music out to people and gotten back products that I wasn't a fan of, you know? Um, so mastering is one of those things that's tricky. Um, the thing is with mastering, it's, you don't always need to do it. Um, and that's what I need some artists to understand, especially unsigned independent artists. When you're coming up, you don't need your mix. You don't need your song to get mastered for $200. The loudness, if you're looking for loudness in your song, that all comes in the mix and how well the mix is done. So don't worry about mastering unless you plan on going on radio. If you plan on getting TV and movie placements, if you, if you're putting your music out on SoundCloud or you're just starting out on Spotify, Listen, guys, you don't need to get your music mastered. Just get that mix to be as perfect as you can. Um, for myself, though, I'm starting to branch out. I'm getting, starting to look into TV placements, um, getting a lot of messages from small labels, independent labels, and stuff like that now. So I need to step that up and go to that next level in terms of, okay, I need to... I have the mix perfect. I have the gift perfectly wrapped, but now I need somebody else to come in and tie that bow on it and make it look as professional as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So yeah, yeah, that is definitely something that uh, I've been looking to outsource. It's just finding the right person for the job. That's the tough part. That really is. And fit is so important because you could even find a guy whose quality of the skill is, is very good. But if it's just like hard to communicate with, or you're just not on the same page, like that's all important. Um, so I think, we, you know, we've got a little bit of time left. And Brody, I'm wondering if you have, for our audience, I'm sure a lot of people are interested in producing and mixing their own stuff. Right. So on the production side, what are the, th- someone who's looking to produce their first two or three songs, what are the three things you say, hey, make, this is something I missed when I was starting. Do this this way. Do you have like two or three things that you can give as a good um, piece of advice? For production specifically? Yeah. Um, watch a lot of YouTube videos. As many as you can possibly take in of different producers in the studio making beats. That was number one. That helped me a lot. Because at first, I tried to just jump right into it. Oh, I bought myself a keyboard. I got my computer. Let's just click around so something sounds good. <laughs> listen, listen, guys, I didn't make a good beat for uh, uh, almost two years, starting in 2014, 2013. I didn't make a good beat for almost two years, a usable one. I was just messing around the whole time. Two, when it comes to producing, learn how to EQ, equalizer. If you don't, when you put the vocals on, it's not going to sound right because everything's going to sound all bunched up. You need to learn how to cut certain frequencies out and you need to learn how to make space for the voice. That's, the mo- that's one of the most important things with production. And it took me a long time to figure that out because I would make a beat that sounded amazing. But when I put the vocals on it, it all sounded out of whack. The vocals were battling with the beat. Mm. different frequencies to break through and you might not know what eq is but that'll be in the youtube videos that you scour the internet for um number three make as many as you can like honestly uh you you just got to keep doing it if don't get stuck on one if it takes you more than an hour to break through with an idea then you need to switch it up. You need to try to do something different. Put that aside, come back to it later. You, you need to always keep trying to make something new so that way your brain is in that mindset to be able to finish a product because trial and error is the best way to succeed. Yep. And I've heard one thing I can add to that that I want to your quick take on is is it important to know when it's done like you can't reach perfection mm. so know, know where your finish line is where you're like you know what this this is done done yeah. <laughs> i can't get it more perfect it's good enough is that um, important to you it is, uh, because uh, one thing I was just watching, it was Illmind and Russ were on a, uh, on a video chat together. And Illmind, who's, if you don't know who he is, he's one of the best producers to ever come into the rap game. He's worked with Kanye, he's worked with Bun B, he's with Drake, he's worked with everybody. Um, 
artists always, producers always try to put too much into their beat. They get to a point and they're like, ooh, I could add something else into this. Listen, guys, less is more. Like, look at Russ's catalog, for example. He makes all of his own beats. He was putting out a song a week for over two years. And the only re the reason why he was able to do that and make the beats and mix it and master it and write it all is because less is more. The beats were solid but minimalistic and it allowed him as a vocalist and as a rapper to really shine on the track. Unless you're putting out your beats as a song by itself, which I have plenty of. I have 30 beats I could put out as just that and people would listen to it as a song. You don't want to get to that level. You need to let the artist whose voice is going to be on it shine the most on the beat. The beat is there to support the artist. Mm. So that think about so that when you're, when you're making the beat, you have to think, okay, is this good enough for somebody to write to? And also, did I do too much where the artist wouldn't fit in this? I like that's when you have to make sure you leave room for the artist on the beat. That's when you know it's finished. Is when you think an artist could get on it, and you don't think it would be overwhelming. I think that's so key. Producers, leave room in your beats, in your instrumentals for the vocals. Like you said, the beat is meant to support the vocalist. Yes, and. In our audience, make sure you leave some time in your day to check out Courtesy on Spotify. Find them on Instagram. It's The Real Courtesy, right? Yep, The Real Courtesy on Spotify and Apple Music. Use a dollar sign instead of the S. So it's the, right. the search engine optimization. You know, it's <laughs> pain, but uh, it's the way it works. Well, Brody, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody check out High School Dreams on Spotify. Find Courtesy on Instagram. Find him on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you are listening to tunes. Courtesy, thank you so much for joining us, man. It's good to talk to you. We'll have to talk yeah. off the air about um, what we can help you do with some of your new songs and some of the campaigns you might be looking at. Um, but thank you so much for your time today and for joining our podcast here. Yeah, no problem. Um, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Underground Sound Mag. Um, I'm affiliated with them now. I do write-ups for them and articles, song reviews, uh, the likes. Um, if you're interested, you can also reach out to me for that. I have a lot of good connections. And, uh, yeah, I hope everybody uh, keeps at it and uh, puts in the work that they need to succeed. Hell yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Check out everything Courtesy is doing. And Courtesy, we'll talk to you again soon, brother. All right, boys. This is great talking to you. Thank you. Hey, great care. talking with you. Nice. One of our first clients. And we met because of my brother at the yeah. University of New Hampshire. It's been a year and a half, I think, over that. It's yep. I, we've helped him promote a bunch of different types of sounds. And he kind of went, like he was saying, he went from rap rap to doing like a poppy hip hop sound where he's singing now. And you can really see like the growth in both his style and the production. So it's interesting. Great to talk with him and catch up. Um, but yeah, everybody. So we had a great conversation here today. Check us out and follow us uh, on YouTube and subscribe to our channel. We have a bunch of videos up there now. We're actually giving a shit about YouTube. 
follow us on Instagram and uh, we'll leave James with the last word here. James, what's going on? I have no idea at this point anymore. I don't know when COVID's going to be done. I don't know what's going on with the world. I've seen the biggest thing I'm seeing right now in the industry is everyone's asking the same question as to how do you build a brand when you can't perform? I'm seeing it a lot. A&Rs are asking it because at this point, A&Rs don't know what they should be looking for. It's no longer Mm. do they have fans showing up? Um, Are these fans real? It's what am I looking for in an online world? How do we, because like we've said before, good music's not enough. And if good music's not enough, um, what is, and what? Right. Yeah, then what are we doing with COVID? How, I mean, you can have okay music, but if you have a show and always have a thousand fans, your potential is to sign. Um, but what is it now, especially with fake streaming and everything out there? you it's obvious if it's fake if it's fake you can be good but you might not be smart and if you're Mm -hmm. not smart enough why would they (laughs) want you yep i mean you're right i think people who can help you if you're a musician the people who can actually help you and open doors for you likely know as much or more than you do so you're not going to trick them into helping you out using fake numbers and fake everything isn't going to help you one more thing that we see a lot recently is Ellie and I are not here to be yes men and pump you up as part of your team. And when we tell you the song's just not doing well and you need to change your song, you can get mad at us. That's fine. But we're doing it because that like people don't care if the song's not good. It's not good. We are not here to be friends. We're here to be an asset to you and help you because we like I was just saying, we know what they're looking for. and ultimately. If we're telling you you're wasting money or telling you not to do something, we're trying to help. We're not, your team will be people who will always say, yes, yeah, release that song. That's great. That's my favorite song. Your next song is always my favorite song because they're your friends. And that's not what we are. No. And yeah, like I think one of the things that I was thinking about just the other day was I think the hardest thing to find in the music business and why we're able to do what we do is because authenticity seems to be like the hardest thing to find in the music business in particular. It's a lot of bullshit. A lot of artists are trying to look more popular than they are. A lot of people who have a venue are trying to make it look like there's going to be more people there than there are going to be. A lot of managers trying to convince you that they're worth giving you 20%. A lot lot of bullshit. Social media companies saying like, oh, we should start promoting the song a month and a half before it comes out. Why? No one's going to remember. Why? No one knows who you are. It's a waste of time. They just want to, they're trying to pull every penny out of you that they can before that release because they know once it's released and it doesn't do well, you're going to move on. And if you move on, wow. you're not moving on with them. So if they have one chance, they're going to start as early as they can. We had someone reach out to us today about a pre-save link. The song doesn't come out for two months. Why? Who, no one out there cares. No one's going to remember it. No one needs your hyperfollow link. They, they don't care. And these companies want you to pay them early so that they can share that and run a promotion for you or run ads for you. And then Elliot and I come in and we tell you to stop wasting your money. And a lot of people either get offended or they go, I'm not wasting my money. They said I need to do this. And if we ask them why, there is no answer. Why do you, when was the last time you 
two months before a song came out, went, oh, I can't wait for that song. I, Maybe if it was Jay-Z. Yeah, Eminem. But even the, like, yeah. If an album comes out with Big Sean, he's been releasing an album for two and a half years. Eventually, I was like, oh, finally, his album. <laughs> Not right. my neighbor. Well, and what you're seeing these days is the big artists don't lead up. Eminem did that with recovery, and it fucking backfired like crazy. So what did he do? He put out um kamikaze with no warning whatsoever just boom here's a new album i have something new now like because it's now i'm people when their content comes up and they see an ad it's oh my song comes out in two months well i don't know who the fuck you are why do i care about why don't you tell me about a song you have now you got my attention with this ad but now you're telling me oh come back in two months and i'll have something for you idiot there's no proof out there that (laughs) promoting a song ahead of time helps that release at all People don't know you. People don't care. If you're getting them to give you a chance at that moment, you better be giving them something, like you just said. Right. You have to give them something then. If you somehow stop someone on an ad, give them something. We talked recently, too. Like, If you're getting 30% of people to watch your full ad on YouTube, that's a successful ad. That ad should not be, hey, thanks for checking out my ad. Come back in three weeks when my new song comes out. You just got them to stop and watch it. Give them something they might like. They might want something right now. Yeah. They're not, (laughs) no one's looking for an ad for something in the future. If it's music wise, if they're looking for new music, they want it now. It's not the same as, oh, the new iPhone comes out in two and a half months. Cool. Okay. That's great. That's a product I'm going to save up and buy. Music, no one's saving up and buying it. They're paying for subscriptions. They want it now. Yep. Yep. And, I think even if the thing is, is a lot of people when they're running ads, it's not as if these people who find the ad are necessarily looking for music. They're most likely not. Um, But if you happen to grab their attention when they're not looking for music and the only thing that you offer them is come back in three months, check out my pre-save. Do you think they give a fuck? If like, and then the thing is that no, they don't because even if it were Eminem, I wouldn't pre-save it. I would be like, oh, cool. Well, in a month, I'll be back. Like, you know, yeah. like, I'll leave it up to like the social media, the internet to tell them, oh, look, yes, right. Eminem's album's out today. Boom. I don't need a pre-save. And this is just one example of what the industry is doing. And this is just promotion. Like this is social media promotion companies want you to pay them $500 a month and start three months before your song comes out because that's where they benefit. And what they're really doing is getting you to start three months early because they know once that song comes out, you're going to fire them because it's (laughs) not going to work. Right. And they, yeah, exactly. Because those pre-saves, okay, you got 500 pre-saves. Nice. Okay. 20% of them checked out your song. Nice. All right. You got 200 streams out of three, $1,500 worth of three months of advertising. Nice. You're right. And that's just one example of what these companies are trying to do. And what Elliot and I do is really opposite at a lot of the time. We tell people to stop. Like, don't waste your money there. Don't waste money on this song. Test your songs. Don't put $1,500 into a song that hasn't come out when you don't even know if people like your music that's out now. If they don't like your music that's out now, you have to change something. <laughs> or if you put that $1,500, if you put a 1000 of that do- of those dollars into promoting what you have out now to the point where Spotify does start to pick up on, oh, look, guys in their 20s who like, Fucking Big Sean seemed to like this guy. Okay, well, when that song comes out in three months, 
guess where we're going to put it on release radar now that we have some information about who's listening right now. Not who listened six months ago, not who listened three months ago. And then if you put that $500 into promoting the song once it's out, you'll already have a little kick with Spotify. You'll have information about who to target with these ads. Doing a pre-save campaign is almost... I'm not going to say it's the dumbest thing you could do in music because that's the lot. That's, that's a stretch, it's, but it's in the conversation. It's a waste of something you put money into. If you, if people ask you for it, send it to them. Cool. That's it. I mean, right. Save your money. Spotify and YouTube act do the same thing. It's based off of are people listening? If they're listening, we'll put it in front of more people. That's it. It's not, Oh, you got 50 people to save this and you have 2,000 followers? Congrats. We don't care because you can have 2,000 followers, but if none of your songs have over 1,000 streams, no one's actually listening to your music. And that follower number means nothing. Um, but all right. Yeah. That's it, everybody. That's the Business on Music podcast. My name's Elliot. That's James. Follow us on Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. I don't even know what you do with podcasts if you follow or save or whatever, but whatever it is. Thanks for tuning in. Check us back. Um, Our next episode, we're going to have Aaron Mattis, who is an engineer. Um, He's done a bunch of hit records. I'm pretty sure he has like 10 songs that have gone gold under his belt. Um, This guy knows what the fuck he's doing, and I'm excited to have him on the, uh, the show. So tune in to the next episode. Thank you for tuning in this time to the Business of Music podcast. Thank you for listening to the Business of Music podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. For more content like this on how to help yourself as an independent artist, join us at denovoagency.com and check out a lot of our free resources. 